Good morning, everyone. This is Elizabeth Copeland. And Hallie Williams. And we are the co-hosts of Out of Grief Comes Art, the, the podcast for Grief Dialogues. And today we're very excited. We have Sal Marks with us. Woo! And uh, can't wait to hear what Sal has to share with us. She's a recent graduate, uh, master's in the, from the School of the Columbia School of Narrative Medicine. I have, do I have that right, Sal? Columbia School of Narrative Medicine? More or less. More or less. Okay, she'll correct me <laughs> shortly and, and when she gets into it a bit. And uh, anyway, we're here to talk with Sal today, but before we do... I want to give a special thank you to one of our sponsors, which is um, the Sharp Grant from Humanities Washington. This podcast has been made possible in part by funding from Humanities Washington and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Humanities Washington opens minds and bridges divides by creating spaces to explore different perspectives. Thanks for believing in our project and supporting us. Yes, thank you. So, ha- uh, Hallie and Sal went to school together, so I am yeah. going to turn it over to Hallie. But before I do, sorry, <laughs> what? sorry, I just want to tell how I got connected to Sal. I, Sal, I do oh, yeah. know your, your parents, of course, but that was not how we got connected. I was looking for some information on the narrative, uh, the School of Narrative Medicine at Columbia, and I went on LinkedIn, and you know how they do who you might know. Oh, the algorithm. Oh, the yeah. algorithm. Thank yeah. you. I always forget that word. Yeah. And, you know, who you might know, and up popped your name, and I went, oh my gosh, I do know her. Uh, you know, essentially through her parents, but I do know her. And then I, <laughs> said, to, I said to Hallie, guess who I met on LinkedIn? Went, oh my gosh, I went to school with her. So anyway, small world. Yeah. And thank you for being here today as part of this program. So Hallie, I'm going to let you take it okay. over. Hey, Sal, how are you? I'm good. Thank you guys both so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Oh my gosh. Um, you guys, we just logged on, you know, before we started recording the podcast and I was like, dude, this is wild. We're all grown up. And like, I remember, gosh, we high school together. I don't think middle school. I think it was just high school. Right. Honestly, I can't remember, but I yeah. that sounds about <laughs> close right. enough. <laughs> close enough. Like we're we're out here, you know, all grown up and saving China, as they say from Mulan. So, um, all right. Well, I'm really excited to have Sal on the show today because Sal is, oh my gosh, the definition of out of grief comes art. You are an incredible artist, and I actually had lo- just to be really honest, I had lost like pulse on what you were doing because you know you just go to high school people then those people disappear like you know they just go out into the world and when Elizabeth sent me your stuff she was like you know this girl right and I was like oh my gosh I do that's Sal holy crap so um your art is incredible and you've been in New York right that's right okay and I have a little special bio of Sal. So I'm going to read that now. But Sal is a non-binary visual artist and patient advocate. They have they have an MS in narrative medicine from Columbia University and a BA in public policy psychology. Oh my gosh. From Pomona College. They work in the health humanities to empower patients and promote health justice for chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm like stumbling over my words today. Sorry. Talk about out of grief comes art and how you use that uh, for the good of others. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read her artist statement because mm. I feel like it really drives home exactly just wow. My art is a dual practice of coping with chronic pain and suicidal 
ideation and communicating illness experience through visual languages. I work with a range of mediums to mirror my fluid body mind abilities. I love that. I use paint pens, collage, comics, oil paint, data visualization, and filmmaking to draw attention to stories about disability, patient autonomy, and narrative erasure. Ooh. Wow. Okay, so share with us a little bit about your grief story and what kind of got you into this space of life. Sure. Um, so I was reflecting on, you know, where this kind of begins and I could pick a number of places, I think throughout my childhood, but where I'll start is being, um, an adolescent, um, going through an arduous chronic pain dismissal process. It took me three years from the time that I was 13 years old until I was 16 uh, as a sophomore in high school to get a diagnosis for my illness, which is AS, ankylosing spondylitis. Um, And so for all of those years, there was both, um, you know, a loss of ability, my physical ability. There was a loss of identity, being an an athlete growing up, having to kind of cope with my identity and my personhood was drastically changed um, upon the the beginning of my pain. and my grief journey also kind of is wrapped up in the loss of my my grandma, my grandma Phyllis, who passed away shortly after I was diagnosed. She had breast cancer for over 20 years. And so um, there, there are all these kind of things to unpack with grief and loss that mm-hmm. have always been related to my family and their experience with my illness and my, you know, coming into who I am as a, as a young person in a world where um, so many doctors and so many people have a hard time accepting and believing that young people have chronic illness too. And it's yeah. not that unusual, but it can be extremely isolating and, and heavy to to live with the symptoms and the, um, the daily realities of living with chronic illness. So um, my grief and my, my pain has always been nonlinear. You know, like mm. chronic illness, it, it comes and it goes and it's embodied and it and it resists so many of the the linear ways of telling stories or in being in the world. And where art comes in for me is is that I first um, my my grandma had given me a, a small pocket sketchbook that I started bringing to waiting rooms, and oh. this kind of just became a portal for me where. I was always waiting, always waiting, so uh-huh. I was always drawing, and that kind of became an, an act of survival of um, of coping with what was going on in the outside world. I could just focus on the page, the empty canvas in front of me. Yeah. And as I as I got older, and I continued to feel that my language as a person with chronic illness was, you know, pushed into boxes, pushed into pain scales, and, and ways of uh, assessing disease art became my way of saying, I can communicate in other ways too. My body, mind, it has its own language. And oh. most of the time it's, it's, it's in a way that we are not taught to listen. We are not taught to listen to our pain or our grief or our um, ups and downs of being in a body, being in a mind um, in, in ways that aren't verbal, that aren't spoken, that aren't, um, looking directly at possibly what we're trying to express or live with. And so the the sketchbook, much like 
as I've gotten older, the canvas um, has been first and foremost a way of, of coping, of listening to myself and my body through the pencil, the pen, the paintbrush, um, and resisting kind of the need to figure it out and put it into coherent language mm-hmm. for another, but really for myself to to live with. So that's where I'll start. What? Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> what? What an answer. That. Well, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Uh, Sal and I share um, disabilities. Yeah. I have a different different disability. I actually have lupus. But uh, I just so resonated when you and I first talked about how it's not linear. Yeah. And nobody gets that. Uh, and so when I you were telling me more about your patient advocacy work with art, uh, could you explain a little bit more of that? Because I personally resonated with that so strongly. Mm. Uh, definitely. So since, since I've been in high school, I've been involved in patient advocacy communities for AS, but more broadly, chronic illness communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so much of the advocacy is, is sharing stories and sharing um, lived experiences that we go through as people with chronic illness in order to raise awareness, in order to raise money, in order to, you know, show the people in positions of power that these conditions are not rare. Um, yeah. And there's so much work to be done in getting access to treatment and getting treatment and and establishing communities and, and keeping people alive and, and out of pain. So patient advocacy has been kind of my way of getting into this, um, this storytelling world, but also having the creativity to say everyone expresses themselves and their story differently. So this is just how I'm approaching um, the advocacy ang- angle is through visual communication. And, you know, I think a lot about accessibility and, and ways of conveying information and, how can we reach a broader audience? And yeah. I, there's so much power, I think, to to storytelling in general, but also uh, visual art and ways of listening and hearing from others through visual or art mediums. Mm-hmm. It's the expression piece for me that you know that is so important. Allowing us and embracing, you know, open acceptance to the expression in order to get that grief out. I mean. And not even just for grief either, because, you know, my kids are both under five, but we're definitely in this exploratory, like, if I'm angry, like, let's get it out in a healthy way phase, right? Mm-hmm. right? You know, think about when you're talking to a little kid, like, and and there's a lot of options for how they can express. And I try, I'm trying as a parent to let him, my oldest one, the one-year-old just screams and throws his bottle. That's helpless at this point. But <laughs> but the older it's an one... Of art. Right, it's an expression of art. But the older one... I try to just be really like I try to be the canvas for him Mm -hmm. as he needs to express whatever he needs to get off his chest Mm -hmm. and I try to do it in healthy ways versus like you know the screaming or the the yelling or the spanking or the you know right but it's it's like I think if we embraced exactly what you're doing at a younger age I think moving forward as we grow, as humans grow into their full adulthood, I think that that we'd have a lot of healthier mental health situations. I mean, like I don't, I don't know what your take is on that, and especially with your experience navigating a chronic illness, like that doesn't go away, mm-hmm. right? And you have to have some coping skills. Um, and it sounded like the sketchbook was definitely oh. the impetus. So, did your grandmother know what she was doing, or do you, do you think? 
Yeah, well, grandmas know a lot, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if she she probably didn't. Did. But uh, why a sketchbook, or or why did you take the notebook and draw it? Uh, could could it have been a notebook where you wrote words, or what was the impotence behind the sketchbook? It's a great question. I I can't say I know the answer to that, but my grandma was someone who lived her life through creation um, in gardening and cooking and yeah and making art and receiving art. And so I think it was her way of being in the world that was, I was so fortunate to have um, grew up with on the island. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really resonated with with what you were saying, Hallie. I mean, for me being a a young kid, as I was saying, my my journey could have started much earlier. I was, you know, a five-year-old kid who was very wild and also depressed. So I was put on antidepressants where I think (sighs) there could have been other avenues to cope with my, the way that I was presenting myself and, and trying to right. make sense of my extreme emotions or extreme uh, physical experiences that could have right. been healthier um, in a way that wasn't pathologized like so many mm-hmm. young people's bodies are. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, here's my question to you as someone who does not have a chronic illness that I'm aware of, yeah, right? Because it could, it could mm-hmm. be there. But mm-hmm. how did you... Not really. To, I don't really want a medical answer, but like, how did you know that something was going on with you? That you know, like, what was the indicator? And I don't really mean that. Like, I don't really want to know the scientific breakdown, but like, like, how did you know inside that something besides was besides the pain? I mean, there was yeah. pain. Well, but. yeah, yeah. There was. Um, I think it was it was sudden and it was slow in mm-hmm. um, having symptoms that felt different than anything I'd ever experienced before. You know, I I grew up playing sports and being sore and being in um, pain that's very different than pain that limits your ability to walk or limits your ability to put on socks in the morning. And so your mom has to do that for you or, you know, and that was the the beginning of feeling really isolated from everyone in high school, really, um, but also feeling isolated from my my parents and my family because there's so much that's hard to communicate and even if you know something's wrong it's really hard to put it into words often with chronic experiences in a way that then can be translated into a diagnosis yeah so i mean and the crazy thing is is not that i should know your business but i had and not that i was like your best friend and we talked every day or anything but we grew up in a pretty small town i had no idea this was going on with you and we grew up in the type of town like if you cross the street you pretty much know like it's like it's a very small community which is a blessing and a curse um (laughs) but i had no idea that any of this was going on with you so when when elizabeth sent me your stuff because right i hadn't really kept up with you and i looked at it online which you guys of course i link everything in our um online when we when we post about Um, our guest, but I'll make sure to have her website because it has an incredible display of her portfolio of her art. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I started to read more about your story. And I was like, I had no idea that this was even happening, which then pings my ears a little bit now that I'm in a different headspace as a mother. And I'm looking at my kids growing up. And now I'm kind of looking at them thinking, okay, how can I tell if something's going on? And how do I support them through that? Because it doesn't sound like with chronic illnesses that there's a fix. And mm-hmm. grief is the same way. 
there's mm-hmm. no fix with grief, mm-hmm. right? When, you know, it's, it's ongoing and changing and not linear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I guess I, I was a long-winded way to say, <laughs> long-winded way to say that, um, that it's very personal and intimate and, and I'm so grateful to your grandmother who gave you a sketchbook. And how do you share? And would it would it have helped you? Do you think at that time, if you had been able to share with your classmates? Mm. But it sounds to me like you didn't know yourself what was going on, and certainly the medical community wasn't helping no. you figure it out. So, uh, is that am I right in saying that? Uh, uh, certainly, Children's Hospital refuted my diagnosis because <gasps> AS was historically considered a man's disease, um, and oh. the stigma remains a barrier to diagnosis for so many people. So. Oh my so gosh. no, but I, I um, it is something to be said about, I wish there had been opportunities for community in ways that weren't all on me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's hard it's with hard. young people, what, what they need and what, um, So there was already a lot being asked of me to, to, sh- to share, to share, yeah. and, and, and I kind of retreated and that's where, that's where I went into art is because. Yeah. I didn't have to use my words. Right. So now you have art that you help other people be able to express what's going on with them medically, right? So how do you do that? What do you create? Do you create the art with them or do you encourage them to create their own art? And then how do you advocate Mm. with them, for them? Sure. Um, I mean, I hope to do it all. I'll I'll speak a little bit about one story, one project I worked on. Um, Last year, I have a, a close friend um, from college who lives with, with epilepsy, and she is younger than me. She's a young, black, queer, um, identifying person. And for her, it took her over 15 years, 15 years to get a diagnosis because of the, all the ways that her um, her lived experiences with epilepsy were ignored and dismissed um, over the years. but what we did together is we worked on a a collaborative project where first we did interviewing oral history interviewing and um i was in my narrative medicine program at the time and then we worked back and forth she did a piece of art i helped her kind of work on the graphic design of putting things together of pulling pieces from her story of mapping it out visually so that um we had a final visual product that could be shared to represent the um the story of, of what she went through um, in our healthcare system. And the hope would that something like this um, would be able to be shared with, well, it has been shared with people in med school, with, um, you know, in community health clinics. Um, right. Both, both to, to, sh- to raise awareness of the fact that epilepsy, like all chronic illnesses, don't fit into little boxes and they present themselves uniquely to every person, Mm -hmm. but also to show the humanity of her story and outside of all these labels, um, she's a person and she's an artist and she is incredible. And so I think art is a really powerful tool to connect these pieces of advocacy, storytelling, um, Mm. and patient education. Now, where do you find your inspiration for these projects? Like I, I doubt that your friends that you just told us about like came to you and submitted a, or maybe a, she a, did, or did she? I mean, like, but did she? Well, I mean, more like it's not like you're getting like submissions for advocacy, or are you? 
Or do you just like hear um, a story and you're like, you, you're inspiring. <laughs> let's do this. I, I get inspiration from being in community with other people who have similar experiences of feeling invisible or erased for mm-hmm. things that they went through that were incredibly um, traumatic and or painful. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's my responsibility and my opportunity to create a platform in which people can rewrite their own stories in a way that um, reflects their their humanity and, and the things that yeah. they wish that could have been shared with their doctors or their providers or their families. Um, and sometimes it's dependent on the, like, so I work part-time for the Global Healthy Living Foundation, who is a patient advocacy organization. And, you know, um, last month it was Pride Month. And so I was able to lead a, a storytelling project in which I put out a call for Okay. People to share their stories with me and work with me to raise awareness of the unique issues that LGBTQ people with chronic illness go through. Yeah. Um, but then once I start working with someone, I really hope to give them a platform for their stories. And I take a back seat, but as an artist and a visual person, I'm, I'm happy to be um, a collaborator and a, um, mm-hmm. a person who is goes along that journey of sitting with a story next to them and I think there's something really powerful about having your story witnessed in your own language and that's something I certainly didn't feel until I was much older and I had the the agency and the ability to rewrite my own trauma and pain stories um, outside of the medical gaze and a lot of people um, feel so thankful and it can really make a big difference in just giving them a platform to share and then to have that be seen by their community if they like. Absolutely. So one of one of the things, I, one of the questions I have here is like, what is the first thing that you gravitate to art-wise, medium-wise, when you're working with someone? But then I heard you just say, um, helping them create their art in their own language. So when you are working with someone, do you, instead of, I mean, do you just pick up a pen and start sketching kind of like how you did going back to when you were a kid? Or... Do you really get to know this person and then you're like, you're my idea for you is that like, how do you how do you pick your medium? Because you do a lot of things. I do a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and I think my a lot of my visual art is separate than my collaboration work with okay. other people. If I'm working with another person, I think it's really important to witness and listen to their story before I dive in and, and try to create a, a visual representation of what I'm hearing. And right. a lot of times things will come out of talking to someone that give you a very clear direction of let's do a, um, like with, with the person that I was talking about, we right. were looking at medical textbooks and pulling out the page on epilepsy. And then we were inspired by medical diagrams and her photography and her art to combine. Um, but, you know, with my, my personal art, it's it's going back to the, the process of coping with with the, the lived experiences of, of pain and illness. Um, and, you know, sometimes I can only draw on my iPad or sometimes I want to do oil paint or right. things that are much more um, physically involved than than other mediums. So, so it's really about giving my... Go ahead. 
Oh, no, so it just depends, and you just follow your heart and your gut. Yes. It's it's messy. It's not always clear, but that's for the best, I think. It is messy. Totally. So you said um, your com- the community. So where do you find the community? Is there... Oh, ha- yeah. Um, and I'm really interested, and I'm saying this for myself, oh. too, because I tend, I tend to... My, my art, my way of coping is writing. And I tend to, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, okay, just don't mind me, I'm going to sit over here and write a story. Um, I'd be really interested to know where, where these communities are. They are out there. There's mm-hmm. community everywhere. I mean, I was fortunate when I was in high school, and I, I first, my senior project in high school, um, people did those. And that was my first example of of. Um, how advocacy could connect me to others. And I, I remember just like sharing something on Facebook and then I received some random message from a stranger who I didn't even happen to see the message till like a year later because of how Facebook message requests work. But um, that person has become a, a huge support and um, consistent place of community for me. Yeah. Therese Hill, you should look them up. They're amazing. Um, Therese but, Hill? Carice, C-H-A-R-I-S, yeah, um, and I find that once you have one person who has an experience you relate to or um, has the same identity in, in terms of the illness as you, there's often a kind of a domino effect of so many more people, and mm. it kind of just takes finding one person who then knows another person and connects you with someone who might really be able to listen to you. But um, I also found community in in college because, um, you know, I live with an illness that most people haven't heard of. And so when they first find out about AS and there's only a handful of people that they know, you know, I became someone that people came to me as, how do I do do my first injection um, Mm. in a college dorm? And that became a way for me to build community and be a support to others. And so many people who I have had these like very small interactions with, um, in terms of illness have become some of my, um, closest friends just because of what we go through and how we understand one another. And so I find that the disability community is, is so opening and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it only, it only takes, like we are all in these bodies um, and anyone can become disabled or chronically ill at, at any moment is, and we've certainly seen a rise of people in, in COVID um, right. having chronic experiences. And so there's certainly an enormous community out there. There's just, it's it's hard to find those connections, but I think once you do, it's um, people that, that stick around mm-hmm. and, and virtually especially makes it easier to stay connected. It it um, it seems like it'd be really hard for someone who's been discounted for so long, and then to, uh, find your voice through art, and then people uh, go, "Oh my gosh, that's what happened to me," or "That's what's happening to me," or whatever. And and now they're tapping you. How did that feel? I mean, did you did you like all of a sudden being the person that knew as opposed to the person who didn't know, according to the oh. doctor? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I um, was surprised at first and maybe hesitant, but immediately it's it's like an entire um, life of experience that rarely gets seen as like 
credible knowledge or experience and right. it's actually something really helpful to other people and mm -hmm. um and really needed especially for me just beating another person who had as made a world of difference in me feeling like i wasn't alone and so right it's it's been extremely humbling but but really amazing to be able to be that for other people as well wow and uh, so if someone is going through something and they really need, um, yeah, uh, yeah, oh my gosh, I could really use right. Sal's help. How, how do you have like a business consulting? I mean, how would they get in touch with you? How do you do that? Sure. I am happy to, um, to connect. My website is salmarks.myportfolio.com. Um, I'm also on <laughs> Social media, I mean, I, I get messages from people all the time who I, who I don't know. And my circle is still pretty small, but I would love for there to be a, a bigger community of people with um, experiences like mine to, to have each other and to connect and to hold space for each other's languages. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that wording of the concept of each other's languages. I love that. Um, okay, so my question to you is for somebody who is not familiar with having chronic illness right how can i be of support what is the most supportful thing that i can do just like how if you lose somebody and they die and then you're like how can i be a support to this friend how can i be of support to someone that's trying to navigate this new maybe a new chapter a new a chronic new, illness a new piece of them right yeah there are so many things you can do i mean when i look back on my a journey of both pre-diagnosis and post-diagnosis there were so many people along the way um that gave me permission to to listen to myself and to listen mm -hmm. to what i was going through in a way that was completely separate from medical diagnostics and terminology and so i think first and foremost believe them that's something that people often have a really hard time having yeah um is having their stories believed and having their um stories taken seriously um and ask them what they need you know it's not going to be the same for every person some people want a person in the waiting room with them and maybe that person doesn't even go back to the doctor with them but having the support in the waiting room could make a difference um there are also so many tangible things that you can offer as support in terms of cooking meals or doing dishes or um, for me sometimes it's hard to get out of my house and so having friends that will pick you up and take you to the beach or yeah. take you on a walk um make you run errands with them or something that's right and i think the last thing i'll just say is especially if it's chronic mm. um giving space for it not it's a last forever and i think mm. one of the hardest things is um at the beginning of a diagnosis or at the beginning of a treatment or there is often a lot of support at the beginning and then it, it kind of quickly out. dies out and that's when the the isolation and the depression and the things mm. um really set in that can make it much harder to live with on a day-to-day -day basis and right. so finding ways to to stay connected, to be there once, once um, the initial support wears off, can make a really big difference. Right. Great. Well, that's a, that is an excellent point, and actually, um, great one to 
end on because that is so important to be there for people all all around and I yeah. know in loss loss a lot of times it's not uh it's not when it happens that you need the support it's it's the year later at the anniversary or you know other times so your point about the being there from the yeah. for the 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 duration and the duration could be an entire life that is that is great so Seriously. well sal thank you so much for for being with us today this is really incredible we'll definitely be posting your website oh be yeah posting some of the artwork that is there that's just you know whether you're suffering from a chronic illness or just enjoying art i just love your images they just bring out such great emotion in me and yes. uh, but i also really appreciate sharing your personal experience with chronic illness um sal and i are actually on a panel coming up august 24th yes for reimagine and that one is called out of illness, illness comes art and we have two other wonderful people going to be joining us who have uh, similar stories, similar types, not similar illnesses, but some similar yeah. issues with chronic illness and, and what we've used to, to build our art in it. So I'm glad we'll be talking again further, Sal. Uh, and we'll be sharing your contact information and get it out there so more people can be part of your community because I'm going to sign up for one for sure. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you so much. This has been another wonderfully fun uh, and and very meaningful episode of Out of Grief Comes Art. And we will see you next time. We'll see you next time. Have a great Wednesday, guys. Thanks for listening.